This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. People make poor decisions for a variety of reasons. Some of these reasons are conscious, but many are largely unconscious. Have you ever faced a challenge or decision that felt so overwhelming you had no idea where to start? Choose Better provides a systematic approach to solving any problem, no matter how difficult. Designed by Dr. Timothy Yen, this series of questions will lead you step-by-step out of that state of indecision and into vibrant, confident action. In times of stress, it's easy to feel impossibly stuck, not to mention isolated and alone. Developed across hundreds of individual case studies and thousands of clinical hours, Choose Better can help you find your best path forward, no matter what life throws at you. Stop leaving your happiness and well-being to chance. Improve your relationships at work and at home while remaining true to your authentic self. Learn how to make the right decisions every time with vision, clarity, and direction and start claiming your best life. Valeria Tellez interviews Dr. Timothy Yen, the author of Choose Better, the Optimal Decision-Making Framework. Timothy Yen is a clinical psychologist with a doctorate from Azusa Pacific University, practicing in the East Bay area and leading conferences and retreats around the globe. Between his years in private practice and another eight years as a mental health staff sergeant in the U.S. Army, he has empowered hundreds of individuals, families, organizations, and teams to develop authentic relationships and grow into their best selves. He currently resides in Northern California with his wife and son. Meet Dr. Timothy at linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash Tim K. Yen. Here is the interview with Dr. Timothy Yen. In your own words, who is Dr. Timothy Yen? I am a man who uh, loves people, loves my family, and someone who wants to do great things in this world. When did you discover that? That there was, do you call that your purpose? In a big way, for sure. And I wouldn't say there was one defining moment. There was probably several defining moments that kind of accumulated to that kind of inner knowing that this life was not just for my enjoyment, but there is a purpose, there's a calling for the kind of impact that I will be doing on this side of heaven. Do you somehow connect that purpose that you have found to being spiritual, to a spiritual practice? 
Definitely. I, I don't think that my a direction in life and, and the purpose or meaning to life is something that just comes inherently from me, but definitely uh, God, higher power. There, there's things unseen <laughs> to right. the naked eye. There's right. there's forces at play, <laughs> and I want to honor those those aspects of life as well. And speaking of life itself, there's a question that I have been recently asking my guests. I'll ask you, what is life to you? What is death? And what is the balance between them? So life usually has a positive connotation for me. So life is uh, colors, textures, experiences, uh, smells. So, so, so life has a lot of uh, dimensions, uh, experiences kind of built into that word for me. And of course, it's also living from a place of purpose, of, of generosity, of, uh, of connection, meaning. So all those things are, are life. And death would be the stark contrast to that. So things that take away, things that uh, are unfulfilling, uh, things that were not meant to be, like like disease and, and broken relationships. So that would probably be types of death. And of course, there's a, like actually when your heartbeat stops, <laughs> that's <Yeah>. the more <laughs> medical type of death. True. And, and, and of course, there's a balance. And it's funny you ask that because I think of a psychiatrist by the name of a Dr. Erwin Yalom. And, and he said something to that effect, which is there is something beautiful and almost necessary mm. about death because death is actually what gives our life a sense of urgency right. that yeah. we don't have forever here on earth and therefore right. we want to make things count and we want to live deliberately intentionally and without death there would be very little motivation to have to act right now because you have forever. And so it's like the gift of death, he calls it, is this uh, spurring on of living well now. The next one is about 2020. It has been this challenging time of change for many of us. So for you, what has changed and what insights have you gained? This may be a strange answer, but I've been really thankful for this season of the pandemic. And, and I'm not minimizing the hardships that a lot of people have experienced. And there's a lot of things that I took for granted, <laughs> things like traveling and eating out on, in restaurants. And there's a lot of things that I thought were in, in my business plans. I had these lofty plans of things I want to do. And it just took a turn. It, it just looked differently uh, during the, the shutdown. However, the, the cool thing that came as a result of it was I had the opportunity to stay home much more than I ever imagined. And I am a, a fairly new dad. I have an 18-month-old son. And if circumstances were normal, quote-unquote normal, then I would be away from the house quite a bit. Like I would go to work. I would you know, be traveling. And just in these precious 18 months, I've been home way more than I ever imagined. And I really grown to appreciate it. Just watching my son grow and, and catching these little like nuance kind changes, which I'm sure I would not have picked up 
if I was away from the home most of the time. And so it really brought the gift of family and, and being able to uh, share these really precious moments, uh, both with my wife and my son. And it, it taught me to kind of slow down and re-evaluate what's really important in my life and what kind of life I want to cultivate and build. And so I think I'm much more clear minded about the direction of my life because I chose to use that time of slowing down and I guess sh shutting down uh, to, to, to really make the most of it for myself. I would say from most of us, if not all of us, there has been definitely a time for pause and reflection, going deeper. And speaking of that, isn't it one of the aspects of making good decisions or good choices to pause and reflect and take time? That's a big piece of it. Sometimes I tell my clients that you won 80% of the battle simply by not reacting right, <laughs> to true. whatever you wanted to do initially. <laughs> Just pausing, you've already won 80% of the battle. The other 20% is figuring out what you want to do next. Yeah. Do you see a difference between emotions and feelings? So the scientific community would say yes. I personally do not. <laughs> so so I, I kind of use them interchangeably, but I want to say that one of them, this is probably not great information, but one of them, it's either emotions or feelings, is much more physiological. So it it talk, so it might be feelings, perhaps, right? Maybe the feelings is a physiological response. So your heart beating faster, uh, like a stress response. So the feeling has much more of a physical piece to it versus emotions is kind of the raw form. That's like the, the anger, anxiety, happiness, that sort of thing. I could have it switched, but there is a difference between the two for some people, but not for me. I see the same thing. Feelings, emotions, they're showing, trying to show us something. And it's so important to be attentive to them. So with that in mind, what are some of the greatest misconceptions about feelings and emotions we have? So depending on your family upbringing or culture, there is a either overt or covert message about feelings for each and every one of us, uh, whether they're appropriate, which ones are appropriate, which ones are not, which ones are valuable, which ones are not. So it, it really depends on you know one's upbringing. But what I would say is the, the misconception is that there are kind of good feelings, important feelings, and then there are feelings that are bad, uh, what is uh, inconvenient, a nuisance. Like if, if I just didn't have that feeling, I would just do so much better. And it's a misconception because being human means to have the whole spectrum of emotions right. and every single one of them right. are important. Two more questions for you. What is healing to you? What is your idea, understanding of what healing is? So healing to me is a restoration of how things should be. And, and I kind of use that word loosely, but should be meaning that there is a, a standard of health that allows people to, uh, to flourish, to be able to uh, think clearly, be able to do certain kinds of uh, behaviors or actions. So, so healing is taking something that was hurt or broken and restoring it back to its uh, true glory. And sometimes even through the, the pain 
So if we're not talking about just physical, right, but emotional, mental, maybe even spiritual, that healing is able to take even the broken parts and making it something, forging something even more beautiful than its original glory. So I say it's, it's full glory is healing, Some, something that is beyond perhaps what things were like before things were broken and hurt. My last warm-up question is about freedom. What is freedom to you? What is to be free? Ooh, freedom is a very interesting concept because most people, so if we're talking about myth busting, most people think of freedom as I can do whatever I want, whenever I want to do it, right? So most <laughs> people think of freedom in that kind of way. And freedom is a very strange concept because especially if you're from America, it's kind of built into our nation. <laughs> like we're all about freedom, right? We we uh, busted out of the England's like tyranny, right? Like it's like freedom has such an elevated value, but I don't think many people think about what freedom actually is. And so to kind of answer your question, freedom is very closely linked to health and, and, and kind of a an order in which things operate the most smoothly or, or the way that it should be, so to speak. And with freedom, there is this strange balance of order and, and, and guidelines in order for freedom to fully be free. And that, that may sound paradoxical, but what I mean by that is, let, let's take driving, for example. Imagine if everyone was able to drive however they wanted. Would you actually feel free on the freeway Probably not. You'd be scared for your life, right? Because <laughs> you don't know. Like, like there's no there's no rules, right? Red lights don't mean anything. And so, so unless there is these certain guidelines, people aren't able to drive safely. And therefore, I would argue you're not driving in freedom. And so there is this interesting, uh, intricate balance between your will and, and having a voice and, and doing things the way that you want, but within the confines of a healthy structure that maximizes the good for the most people. That would be my definition of freedom. Yeah, I thought about, and I heard before a long time ago about freedom and responsibility. They go hand in hand. Perfect. They're not separate. So you wrote the book, Choose Better, the Optimal Decision-Making Framework. Two initial questions. How did you become a writer? And what was the inspiration and intention of writing your book, Timothy? So honestly, I never intended to be a writer. <laughs> what what ended up happening was I I was inspired by a conversation I had with a a friend of mine who is a CEO of a tech company uh, overseas, and we had dinner one day, and I am aspiring to do consulting work uh, for companies and, and doing coaching, executive coaching. So I just asked her, what are some of the needs or, or what kind of value can I bring to a company like hers? And she's the one that brought up critical thinking. How can you help my leadership? How can you help my employees, uh, supervisors think better? Because there's a lot of you know, stressors, deadlines, uh, competing ideas of what is the best idea, depending on what department is passing this idea along. And she's like, we just all need to be on the same page, but we don't really have a systematic way of thinking through and arriving at a decision that is optimal and 
quick. And so I chewed on that idea a little bit, originally thinking about a way to do it for tech companies, but then in my clinical work, in my in my counseling work, I realized decision making is not a company thing. It's a it's a human thing. So I, I thought about it a little bit more and I realized, you know, on some level, big or small, all the clients that I've seen have some sort of challenge and their decision making either helped or hurt whatever it was that they're trying to achieve. As you can probably guess, most of them hurt what they were trying to achieve. That's why they're here to see me. And so I took a lot of my experiences, took some of the science behind what we would uh, identify as health, and I created this framework that I believe is very accessible and easy for people to use yeah. so that they can get unstuck from whatever situation that they're in and make vibrant, confident choices. I love the dedication you have in your book, uh, especially when we talked earlier about pandemic and how grateful you were to spend more time with your family. The dedication in your book says to my wife, the best decision I have ever made. I was like smiling at this. <laughs> Shout out to my wife. Yes. Yeah, and I mean every single word. Yes. Yeah. Beautiful. Why did you choose to become a clinical psychologist, Timothy? <laughs> That's another weird story. <laughs> so I also did not have that in mind. And I actually wanted to be a journalist uh, out of high school. I, I did this little radio talk show thing. Loved it. Thought that's what I wanted to do. And then I wanted to go to college, but then my father started a business that did not do very well. So that uh, financially set things back. And I decided to join the army <laughs> in order to pay for my own school. So that, that that's how that started. And I wanted to be a journalist in the army, but it turns out I was severely colorblind when I was going through their examination. So I wasn't allowed to choose journalism because I couldn't see color very well. And mental health was one of the few jobs left that I was still interested in that I can pick with my handicap. So it's weird. It's almost like life chose that for me because that's not what I set out to do. But I am so grateful that I'm doing the work I am now. N nothing against journalism. I'm sure that would have been really cool too. But I'm really glad that, you know, I, I stumbled upon mental health, really loved it, felt, felt like it was meaningful work. And in my time in the army doing it, I realized people are complicated and I need <laughs> yeah. to be further equipped to, to help as uh -huh. many people as possible. So that's when I went back to grad school and pursued my doctorate to be a psychologist. You just said about um, people complicated, or we are complicated. Do you believe that this is really something that's true or we complicate life in a way with our thoughts and ideas and concepts and mental constructs? Ooh, that's that's a great question. The the answer is probably yes and no. So so people are complicated in that no two people are the same. Every I mean, I can talk to 10 people who I would diagnose with depression, and each one of them arrived at where they're at so radically different. And even their uh, the way that they experience depression is fairly different between each other. So in that kind of way, there is this kind of uh complexity in, in presentation and 
the uniqueness in their way that they experience life. So that piece of it is complicated. But then answer is also no, because there is a thread that connects through humanity and there is basic needs and desires and, and wants that are quite universal. And in that kind of way, everyone wants similar kind of things. And that makes it not so complicated. So it's, it's yes and no. So what defines a good decision? That's my first question. And the follow-up question I'll ask now too, because I really want to hear from you. What is the difference between making decisions and choosing? Yeah. So a good decision is a choice, an action that you uh, pursue or to, or implement that is aligned with what matters to you. So there's definitely a, a relationship between your values and how you live those things out. And of course, th there's its own processes in terms of like knowing who you are, so you know what your values are. But that's the short answer. The short answer is if there's an alignment of in how you live your life with what you care about, what truly matters to you, I would say that's a good decision. And Remind me that the second question was? Yeah, the difference between making decisions and choosing. Is there a difference? So for me, there is. You can make an argument that there isn't. It depends on, are you using the verb term or the noun, right? But but with, with, with choosing and deciding, I have a a warmer inclination to lean toward choosing because there is a... It, it there's it's almost like a force. It's like a thrust. <laughs> When you make a choice, it's intentional. It's it's I don't know if it's always thought through, but typically it is right. It's something that is conscious versus deciding kind of has a kind of a wavering quality where you're like, ah, I'm like, I'm not kind of sure. I'm still deciding. I'm still kind of thinking it through. So choice definitely has more of a like an umph and saying yes. Amen. I'm moving forward with that versus deciding has more of a like in the process of making a choice type of thing. So that that's probably what I would say in terms of the feelings attached to those two words. But they're similar, obviously. Interesting that you say that feelings and emotions. That's the section in your book that I really love is one uh, about feelings, emotions, actually you call it emotions, the five checkpoints in the framework, emotion, values of self, values of others, reality, and courage. So you have emotion as the number one, or you start with emotion. So I'll ask you that question in a minute, but before, so yeah, I was kind of thinking about this idea of making bad decisions and taking risks or making mistakes. So how do we learn to know the difference between them? How do we know when we are making or when we made a bad decision or we just took a risk? We just made a mistake. So it's not a big deal. So a bad decision would be the opposite of a good decision, right? It's, it's, it's making a choice that is not aligned with what matters and who you are. It goes against like your integrity as a person. Those are probably bad choices. And, and, and I want to make a distinction that sometimes we may make a good choice 
but not like the outcome. So it's a bad outcome, but it was a good choice. And that may sound kind of weird, right? But sometimes we do something that is very, you know, you, like you, you in clear conscience, you made the choice, but things don't always turn out the way we wish they did. And, and sometimes people second guess their choice. They're like, I, I probably made a bad choice because the outcome wasn't what I wanted. And that is something worth reevaluating because sometimes there are things that happen that are very independent of your choice. Your choice is only a piece of the puzzle. And that's what, what you talk about as a risk. There, there is a risk. Anything worth pursuing in life has an element of risk. And, and, and with the greater the risk, the greater the reward kind of idea. So relationships is actually probably one of the most risky things we can do with our lives. Because when we have intimate, trusting relationships, we kind of open ourselves up to being really, really hurt <laughs> as well. And, and, and so it's kind of that idea of making sure that at least your choices are good, even though the outcomes will be determined <laughs> depending on what happens. If that doesn't constitute a mistake, you wouldn't call it a mistake, would you? Even if we don't get where we want to go with that decision we made. Yeah, mistake is another interesting loaded word. Because, <laughs> yeah. of course, when we think mistake, it's clearly negative. Yes. <laughs> no yeah. one thinks like these are good mistakes. Now, I would probably say a, a nuanced answer in that mistakes can also happen with good choices, given that you made the choice based on whatever you had, whatever you knew at the time. But sometimes we miss information. There, there's things that we didn't know, and it's not because we didn't do the work or that we didn't take the time to think things through. Sometimes things are not the way they seem, and we just didn't know until the decision was already made. Then we look back in hindsight, and we're like, oh, that was kind of a mistake. But it's because I didn't know this, right, this piece of information, or else I would have made a different kind of choice. I absolutely love that idea. I mean, love what you said, everything you say, but what you said specifically about not arriving to the destination, because most of us have this idea of getting somewhere. But the most important component is to come from a place of value, be in alignment of what we believe in, what matters to us. So it doesn't really matter what happens after that. So I love that message, Timothy. It's a yeah, beautiful one. Thank you. That's very clear to me. And that's what I believe in. And speaking of beliefs, um, do you differentiate values from beliefs or they are kind of in the same realm? I feel like you're bringing up a lot of like these like two terms that, that yeah. kind of have a lot of overlap, right? Yeah, and there, right? There's nuance between them, right? But at the same time, there are some like slight differences. So I would probably say that beliefs are a bit more comprehensive. They're they're like almost like worldview type of things versus maybe values are a bit more specific. So so things like like maybe like a value of love or respect. But then a worldview kind of strings maybe several values together. And then that's kind of your worldview. Like people should be good to one another. <laughs> That's a belief. So so yeah, that would probably be the small nuance difference. But clearly, there's a lot of overlap between both those constructs. So talk to me about 
the main reasons behind that feeling of being stuck, which we have an idea now by the conversation we have been have, what are the main reasons people make bad decisions? I know in your book, you disclose that, but for the sake of our conversation, we won't go through everything. I do have a lot of questions for you here, but yeah, talk to me a bit about that. Yeah. So in my book, I, I address the audience as two types of people. And that's kind of how I start my book, which is there are people who generally experience life in a indecisive way. They choose not to make decisions, which ironically is a choice. (laughs) If you don't make a decision, that does a choice. Right. But they they don't see it that way. Right. So so there's people who are indecisive and then there's people who make decisions too quickly. They, they don't yeah. kind of think through all the pieces that matter. And so they, they pull the trigger and they don't like the outcomes because it was only one or two pieces of the framework. It, it wasn't all the pieces that mattered. And bad decisions come from that place. And, and, and being stuck is the same thing. Being stuck is another posture of procrastination, perhaps. It's like a fear of making the wrong choice, experiencing negative consequences. So if I just don't think about it, if I just don't do anything, then maybe it will go away. That That's the delusional, wishful thinking that people have. Or at least I don't have to experience the pain now. I can hold off and, and deal with it later. And as you know, sometimes like with the wound, if you don't attend to it, it can fester and get worse. So it, it's not an innocent crime to be like, oh yeah, I'm just not gonna think about it or do anything because then you're giving the power away to someone or something who will make the decision for you. And that is not freedom, right? That would be the yeah. opposite of freedom. So talk to me about the framework, if you want to disclose it, of course, all of them. I mentioned earlier, emotion, values of self, values of others, reality, and courage. Whatever you wanted to talk about, uh, the framework, please do. I would love to hear some of the details. Yeah, I was like, you actually shared with your audience the framework already. That is the framework. <laughs> yeah, those, all those, the those five parts. Right. Yeah, but I can definitely elaborate a little bit more on each piece of the framework. So the idea of the framework is a, a protocol or uh, like checkboxes, things to consider before you make a decision or an important decision. And I chose that order because intuitively it made sense to me, but hopefully as I explain it, it'll it'll make sense to you as well. So emotions is the first one that I use because that data point hits our brain at one-tenth of a second. It's so fast when we feel something. So it's the very first piece of the framework because you only feel strongly about something when it's important. If it's not important, you don't feel much of anything. You're, you're pretty neutral about something. So if that's true, then it means that your feelings are trying to tell you something really important. And oftentimes we ignore our feelings or we don't take the time to understand what our feelings are trying to tell us. And that ends up steering us in the totally wrong direction. So, so that's the first part of the framework is identifying how you feel and understanding why you feel this way. And in my book, I do highlight some of Dr. Paul Ekman's work on on feelings because there are certain emotions that are universal 
across culture, across uh, nationalities. They're just it's just across culture, and it, they all mean similar things. And so my book does highlight what each of these emotions mean, and hopefully that will shed some light as to what's important to you and and why this is coming up, uh, which leads me to the second part of the framework, which is the values. And we talked a lot about that earlier. Uh, values is essentially what's meaningful, what matters to you. And every situation that people face, there's going to be something that matters to you or something that matters to you that is being threatened, which is why you have a problem, right? There is a something that is at stake uh, and your decision-making hopefully will help be or be in alignment with what matters about this situation. So values, I do highlight in my book some resources on how to identify those values, uh, how to understand yourself because your values come from your identity and, and kind of the beliefs that you hold around who you are, why you're here, those kind of deeper questions. Yeah. And I, I'm sure you would agree it is a lifelong pursuit so right. there, oh, there's yeah. nothing that's going to yeah. be like, oh, yeah, this is who you are and it's never going to change. Right. Uh, quite the opposite. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're always going to learn more about who you are. Yes. And that's going. And But the more you do know who you are and what you value, you're just that much more likely to make good decisions. So so that's the value yeah. piece. Uh, values of yeah. others essentially is stating that people also care about things and things matter to other people involved in our situation but they may not be the same as ours. Like we may value one thing, but they may value something differently. And so I, I really implore my my readers to create win-win decisions as much as possible, right? Like not yeah. just, I, I kind of joked with, with some people, that. I was like, you know, if people walked away from this book <laughs> becoming more crafty and just more selfish, I, I totally would have failed, right? Like I would have <laughs> failed as an author because that's not what I'm trying to create. Right. So I did add that pillar which is the value of others, can we consider what they want and why and understand what's important to them? Can I include that in my decision? So that's the values of others. And then we have the reality factors. So I, I always use the example of gravity. Uh, it doesn't matter what you think about gravity, how you feel about gravity, you will experience gravity when you step off a cliff, right? So, so gravity is something that is true in, our time on earth, and therefore there's a lot of realities that we want to consider in our decision-making because it's not up for discussion or opinion. We just need to navigate and work through those realities in our decisions. And so all four of these parts are what I call data points. Essentially, you are taking some time, you, as you said beautifully, like we pause. We pause and we think, and we're gathering data points, right? We're gathering data points so that we can make the most informed decision. And through that process for a lot of people, then they're able to list out what are my options? Okay. Now that I've gathered all these different data points, what are my options? Good, bad, the ugly. And, and through that list, there's going to be one that's going to resonate with you much more strongly. It's like, Hey, it kind of checks all the boxes. It, it kind of addresses all the things that, that really matter. And then that leads us to the fifth part of the equation, which is the courage, right? Just because you know better doesn't mean that you'll do better. So what is holding you back? You've already done all the hard work, man. Like you might as well like benefit from this choice. But sometimes that's what gets people stuck is they know what to do, 
and why they should do it and they still don't do it right so courage is so important to uh, this decision making process because you actually have to act upon it in order for you to enjoy the benefits of that decision. So I have a whole chapter about how to build courage, how to work through some of the programs, uh, paradigms, defense mechanisms that may keep us from making that choice. And when we're able to understand that, then we're able to, in confidence, move forward with our informed decision. What a beautiful work. Thank you so much, Timothy, for sharing that, that information, that knowledge, that love, essentially. Yeah, I, I do see in your work this um, combination of skills, self-awareness, awareness of others, of life itself, reality. And then, yeah, to me, a very important piece, we have courage to act upon what we believe in, what we value. That comes encouragement. So courage and what are you doing is encouraging us to step to that space of being ourselves in the world. Thank you. So I have a few more questions for you. We're almost at the end. Um, those are the ending questions. Would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? I would like to say one last thing, which is for, for those of us, uh, for, for you that are listening out there, some of you may feel like you have made so many bad decisions in your life that it's too late for you. <laughs> and there's no point. This is kind of like who I am. Like I just make bad decisions or I am an indecisive person. And I really want to bust that myth as well because uh, the reason why I stress decision-making so much is because that is your ticket towards a better life. It's actually your decisions. And so you're only one decision away from making a good one. And and I really want to stress that decision making is a skill, just like basketball skills, nunchuck skills. Like it's something that you got to practice or it's something you got to do, something that you have to be uh, more intentional and be aware. And so everyone can improve, like everyone can be better at this. And, and that's why I wrote the book is I want more people to live life and live life to the full and never give up there's always hope at the end of the tunnel because you're just one choice away from that direction. So my two final questions, if you knew you would die soon, meaning losing, leaving the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything in a different way? I want to say no, <laughs> but let me think about that. <laughs> well, if I knew I was going to leave soon, hmm, I would probably... <laughs> this this sounds really bizarre, but all the things that I'm building and, and writing, I would probably not do those things if I knew I had a few days left and I would just be with the people that I love the most and, and just cherish that time. I would probably be less ambitious in a weird way. I would just be like, okay, well, let me be with the people that truly matter to me. So there it is. But in terms of the decisions that I've made up to this point, yeah, no regrets. I, I definitely believe that I'm on... The, the track of my life that's meaningful. You do mention that in your book. Yeah, no regrets. Even the five top regrets people have, I think it was a book that was written. Yes, I love the way you said that. And that always goes back to that. I, I noticed with everybody that I asked that question, spending more time being around family, people I love and care about. And my last question is, what are three things about life that you know for sure as of this moment? I know for sure that every single person on this earth 
was created for a purpose and therefore there's something uniquely assigned for each one of those people uh, to accomplish while they're here on earth. So I have a deep belief in that and part of the the joys of life is discovering what that is and, and mm-hmm. doing it. So I, I'm very certain of that. I'm very certain that uh, relationships matter and uh, you know, being being seen, being heard, being authentic, having people uh, that love you and and you're able to love, that's the the deep stuff. That that's the rich things that that truly matter in life is is relationships. Yeah. Hmm, a third thing. I'm also certain that uh, it's never too late, like I said, to to make a difference. And, and therefore, it doesn't matter what your, your past or whatever baggage you may may still be holding, that even that can be used for the good of not just yourself, but also for those around you. Thank you so much, Timothy, for your compassionate work, your presence today, and sharing your wisdom. I love your wisdom. Thank you. You're very welcome. Before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? So the best way to find it would probably be on my professional website, which is just my name, www.timyen.com. And on the bottom of the page, I have links to uh, Instagram, you know, join my newsletter for the work that I'm doing. And that's probably the best way to to find me. And for those of you who are interested in counseling or uh, doing kind of coaching type work to help discover Uh, you know, have guidance towards living the life that you really want, you can also uh, reach out to me through the contact page. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. All right. Thank you. Bye for now, Timothy. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Dr. Timothy Yen and his work, please visit timyen.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.